we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hey, everybody. Uh, good morning, afternoon, or evening. It's hard to tell what time it is in space, but welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. Thank you for joining us here on our psychedelic rocket ship, where we pass the time by telling real but surreal tales about things that happened on planet Earth. I really miss planet Earth. <laughs> Um, I hope someone's able to pick up our signal and let us know if everything's okay down there. But anyway, I'm Willow Truman, and with me, as always, is our other captain. Sequoia Kennedy. All right. So, Sequoia, I want you to roll a clip for me to get us started. We're going to go right into it. All right. It. Let's, let's go right into it. All right. Mm-hmm. Rolling roll in the clip. This, this will be my last transcript. They know everything. Who's th- if you get this, then contact Edgar on a safe line. What is... More displays only. Were they? Then I picked up some transmissions on the angel sector. Oh, you've got to get past the hanging man. What? I, I don't have time to elaborate. The field has opened. What they the hell is this? They did come in after the Philadelphia 47 project. It's all the Phil- Tesla notes. Philadelphia? Something happened on board the Scorpio in 68 and the field opened for a second time. What Pandora's the hell is this? is open. I've got to go. The line's no longer secure. What? They're listening. They know. They, they are coming, for they are legion. What the... For they are legion, but what? who's coming? What the hell is that? Okay, so that's a clip from the demo for a game called Drowned God, which we are going to talk about today. Oh, that's not real. It doesn't sound real, does okay. it? Okay, no, it doesn't. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is, but like, it just <laughs> it combines in so many cool, like the angel sector, the Dude, Philadelphia that's... experiment, like they are yeah, legion, yeah. you know? It's really... That's why I wanted to start off. No, that. That, yeah, that's awesome. That's so fucking wild. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about a PC game from 1996 called Drowned God Conspiracy of the Ages. Cool. Yeah. Because I, I, I've i played a lot of video games in my life mm-hmm. and I really know nothing about this game. Yeah. And like I never, I, I played some PC games as a kid, but I was born in 1995, so I wasn't playing no like Drowned God, but... I really want to play it, and we will in the future. But if you weren't intrigued by the name alone, Sequoia, do you want to read the description that's on, like, the back of the box for this game? You are chosen. Many times you have lived before, so use wisely your intuition and your wit. Do not believe what you have been taught. History is a lie. Dare to link ancient astronauts with the shadowy Majestic 12, Albert Einstein with the Philadelphia Experiment, the Great Pyramids with Roswell, New Mexico, Discover the truth behind the assassinations of JFK, the 1968 Bermuda Triangle incident, and the top secret Area 51. Question your past. Protect your future. Beware false promises and new friends. Trust the tarot and accept the mysteries of sacred numerology. Revelation is in your hands. What the hell? Do you love it or do you love it? It's everything I've ever loved. Like, 
when I found out that this game exists, I was like, holy fuck. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. It just, it like throws in everything in there too. It like aliens as well. This motherfucker's done the reading. Yes. So in order to understand the game, we're going to have to learn more about the man behind the game. And judging from that back of the box and the yeah. clip, uh, this is probably a, a fucking dude, huh? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, Harry Horse was his name. Was that his real name? <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll get to that. All right, all right. Harry Horse was a man who enjoyed having many different identities, political cartoonist, children's book author and illustrator, video game designer, conspiracy theorist, musician, mm. poet, prankster, son, uncle, and husband. To most, he's unknown, but to some... He's known as a murderer. A murderer? Yeah, oh, no. and like I said that in a silly voice, but this is pretty serious. No, he's, he, <laughs> to some he's actually known as a murderer. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, now, I had no idea who he was. So you find out about this game, right? And you're like, oh, this is cool. And then you like look into it, look at the Wikipedia page, and you're like, oh, fuck. Okay. So on January 10th, 2007, police found the bodies of Harry Horse and his wife, Mandy, in their remote home on the Shetland Islands in Scotland. Reports suggested they had died in each other's arms after overdosing on painkillers. Word came out that the two had taken their own lives as part of a suicide pact made after Mandy began to suffer severely from multiple sclerosis. God, that's sad. It's really sad. Um, very sad. So while their deaths were portrayed as this like Romeo and Juliet style suicide pact, it would emerge a year and a half later that Harry Horse actually killed his terminally ill wife in a frenzied knife attack that left her with more than 40 wounds. Then, the 46-year-old killed the couple's pets before stabbing himself 47 times and bleeding to death. Whoa. Yeah! Well, I, I saw a little thing about, like, some of his friends, like, disputing that. Do, yes. do you know anything about, like, is that definitive? Or is that just more, like, mystery and sensationalism? Like It's a, it's a bit of both. Okay. So, we'll talk about that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, you know, long before that happened, little hairy horse was born Richard George Anthony Horn on May 9th, 1960, a Taurus, you know, uh, to parents Derek and Josephine. Richard Horn, huh? Yes, as in like the Twin Peaks character, right? Yeah, Yeah. if anyone's seen season three of Twin Peaks, there's Mm -hmm. there's, there's there's a real stabby Richard Horn in there. Yeah, very interesting, isn't that? That's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so... The young Harry Horse, Richard was the first and only son to Derek and Josephine, with three sisters to come. We got Kay, Marianne, and Emma. For his first 10 years, he grew up at Church Farm Cottage, Brandon in Coventry. You know, we got these very English people. I hate English town names. Yeah. Brandon in Coventry, what the hell does that mean? What the fuck is that even? America? We got... We got Brandon, we got Coventry. Those are two separate towns. Yeah, Brandon in Coventry. That ain't a town. Like, when I was saying it, too, I was like, am I saying this right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's like— I don't even know. Massachusetts keeps some of that dumb shit with, like, Manchester by the sea. Uh-huh. Manchester by the sea. Just, oh, yeah. God, she's a one word. Jesus Awful. Christ. So, 
they grew up at Church Farm Cottage, which what a name. Like, pick an identity, will you? <laughs> Same with Harry, right? <laughs> yeah. Church Farm Cottage. Yeah. So, and then they moved to Christmas Hill Farm in Warwickshire. At least they're condensing. Yeah. Now it's Christmas Hill Farm. It's only like two th- you know, actually, it's still three things, but <laughs> <laughs> so he would tell his sisters that Santa and his reindeer would stop there at the farm um, on their way to and from the North Pole. And that's how their home got its name. Of course, he was lying, <laughs> but yeah. you know, he, yeah, you never know. You never know. Um, you can actually stay at Christmas Hill Farm now if you want to. It's like a nice hotel. It's, you know, fairly priced. So that's a thing. I don't know. Interesting. Um, And he would also, as a child, ride his horse Toppin, John Wayne style, for miles. (laughs) And the horse would often wander home without him. (laughs) So, like, what do we think John Wayne style means? I think that is just, like, Western riding style. Okay, because I thought, like, maybe it means he could only ride it before noon because after that he's too drunk. (laughs) 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 Like... The horse just wanders back home yeah, without that, him. Yeah. Like, sorry, Harry's back there. I don't know where he went. I know horses will take drunk guys home. Yeah. Like, they'll, the horse knows where he's going. Toppin. Toppin. Toppin's a good horse. Yeah, he is. So, should have brought should have brought Harry back with him. Though. I know. So Richard, uh, he would grow up being kind of shifty about the affluence he was raised in. You know, he was raised by a rich family, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything was hunky-dory in oh, the house. Of course not. Yeah. His family had a house in Salcombe. No idea if I'm saying that correctly, but it's a popular resort town in Devon. And they also had a fishing boat and the family car was a Bentley. Wow. So, you know, like these people have money. He's from yeah, money. Yeah. Um, that, that's some money. Mm-hmm. A schoolmaster called him horse instead of horn by accident one day so he decided like i'm just gonna keep that like he thought that was fun he liked riding his horse yeah so So he was also like always kind of a fan of playing pranks and pretending to be other people so like this horse incident by the schoolmaster was one of the first you know yeah yeah yeah. like this name is bestowed upon him and got another identity So, like, each Christmas, his parents would hold a party for, like, a hundred family and friends, which is a lot of people. I can't even— Yeah, that's a big party. Uh, you gotta have a big fucking house to accommodate a hundred family and friends. I mean, you can go look at it, Christmas Hill Farm. That's (laughs) like—that reminds me of, like, like an old-school British party, like a— Yes. Like, um, what the hell is that book with the ghosts? The ghosts of the Christmas— the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. A Christmas uh, carol. Uh, yeah. You know, they go back to that to yeah. the past. They're doing that party dance and everybody's Ebenezer happy. Because it was the best past. Best name ever. Yes. George C. Scott. Yeah. So speaking of Ebenezer Scrooge, um, Richard would like dress up like an old man and he would go outside and like help people park their cars. And oh. um, yeah, he would like pretend to shiver in the uh, snow and like be all cold and be like, I'm riding home on my bike tonight. Hope I make it. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently at least one guest told his father, like, I think it's disgusting how you treat your staff. By the way. <laughs> but it was just Richard dressed up like an old. <laughs> That's wicked funny. Yeah. So then when he was a teenager, he really loved Clint Eastwood and the man with no name. Fuck yeah. So he would take his horse. I wonder if it was Toppin or like is Toppin uh, dead by now? I don't know. Horses live a good long time. <laughs> yeah, I hope it was Toppin. I think it was Toppin. I'd like to imagine that it was. 
So he would wear like a sombrero or a cowboy hat and then have like a twig in his mouth, like a half chewed cigar. And he would ride up to the church at Chesterton. Uh. <laughs> These English names. <laughs> he would throw his reins over a headstone and walk in as the unknown man. And then he would like sign the book as Clint Eastwood or like yeah. Bugs Bunny or something. How old is he when he's doing this? Yeah. Uh, God, I don't know. A teenager. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, then you still have to sit through church though. Yeah, but he you're would, sitting through church as Clint Eastwood. With your fucking horse outside. Yeah. And he would also like leave before everyone else too, just so like no one would know where he came from and no one would see him leave. He's the unknown man. That's that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm telling you, I really, really like Harry Horse. Yeah, hell yeah. Horn. I think he prefers to be called Harry Horse because like that seems to be um, what his friends refer to him as. That's the person he became. Yeah, that's the person he wanted to be. And I imagine like, you know, I didn't come from money or anything. So I imagine like coming from like a prestigious, you know, especially like in England where they got really old families and shit. Yeah. I can imagine it must be tough to have like a lineage that you come from, like a name to uphold right. and stuff. Yeah, especially with like your parents being, you know, an accountant and a lawyer. And of course, it was kind of expected of him to follow in the family footsteps and become a lawyer. And that's right. like, totally wasn't his style. He was also an accomplished phone prankster. You know, when he got to be 18, he moved to Edinburgh, and while his sister Kay was still living at home, he called her pretending to be the National Aquarium and told her that, like, they were cleaning out the aquarium and we need a place to, like, put the dolphin. Do you mind if we use your pool? And, like, (laughs) (laughs) she bought it somehow. She was like, oh, my God. And then when their dad came home, he was like, sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know that's a, that's just richard and he also liked to you know he he obviously liked to do the old man thing because one time he called a tv presenter and diamond and did like this phone quiz on tv and instead of accepting like the prize that was on tv he said I want the couch cushions from the TV set that I'm watching right now and <laughs> they were like sure and sent him the couch cushions <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so he liked to play pranks. This is some good good pranks. But he was a murderer. Did you forget? I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he like he not really. I mean he was, but I mean it's all so fucky. But it's not fucky yet. It ain't too fucky yet. He's having right fun. Right now, he's just a merry old prankster from Brandon and Devon and Coventry, <laughs> Warwickshire. In merry old fucking England. Yeah. So After a short time working in a solicitor's office, which I guess is like a lawyer kind of thing. Yeah. You know, fucking England. They got different style of law than us. Well, he would spend more time sketching doodles instead of taking notes. And he tossed a coin deciding, will I move to Edinburgh? That's how you say it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I said Edinburgh the other day. You said it earlier, too. Oh, my fucking God. Edinburgh. I'm sorry. Don't apologize to them. (laughs) (laughs) So he tossed a coin. Edinburgh or London? (laughs) And what do you know? Tales for Edinburgh. (laughs) To make me have to say it the rest of the fucking episode. (laughs) So Richard, Harry, uh, headed up north, and he actually found success as the frontman of a punk-influenced bluegrass band called Swamp Trash. Okay. Yes, they purported to be a lost band of Cajun troubadours. 
you know, down on their luck, American brothers and cousins from Oskaloosa, Promise City, Missouri, in the U.S. of A. They were flat, <laughs> flat broke and stranded in Scotland. So they would like go into bars and say, you know, we need to scrape up enough money for tickets home. Wow. And um, I have a clip of Richard talking about this if you want to open it up. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Swamp trash. And we tried to play pubs as ourselves, playing the sort of music that we do. And every time we did, we would we would be told that we had to get a tape or book or phone. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted the money instantly, and we wanted to to, to pass the hat. So we dreamt up the idea of coming from uh, Oskaloosa, Promise City, Missouri, and the fact that we were all brothers. So I'd go into the pubs and say. You know, hi, uh, my name's Billy Joel, and this is my brother Cal, Luke Dexter, more James, my brother Mo, and all this. And we want to play a few tunes for you. Oh, my God. Maybe just, you know, pass the hat around. Good and accent. we would all be really yeah. thrilled and bowled over by this, that we were actually American. Uh, for once, counted for something quite big. And uh, so... And I've done that because, day before. Uh, yeah. Because it worked so well and it was a good form of amusement. If you took me seriously after three songs, after I was telling stories about how Daddy had his leg bitten off by a gator and uh, uh. You know, how Mama had got sort of sunk in the swamp, then that Dexter had seen something in the woodshed and that's why he didn't talk. Anymore. <laughs> it was just a fantasy inside my head, a sort of schizophrenia of like being this person. And in fact, when I spoke about Billy Joe, I actually believed it quite hardly. And I do believe that they were like my brothers too yeah wow. so interesting right yeah i it's i can already see that he really has this thing for like american myth yes. like the myth that cut of <clears throat> of america which is really interesting because like you know that definitely exists and like a lot of americans definitely have a thing for that too but we don't kind of see it as that. Right. He's almost like building his own mythos. Right. Why? Well, I feel like it's kind of how we almost imagine, you know, knights in shining armor or like, you know, European style myths. Like yeah. we, we put our own biases and experience on thinking about like, yeah, knights versus them thinking about like cowboys or whatever. Right. Although two entirely different time periods, but whatever. And like, this is just another example of him being a prankster, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. He's like, we wanted to make money as fast as possible. So what did we do? We lied. Yeah. Like, perfect. You just do the yes. bit. I mean, I love that because like people don't actually care if that's true or not when you're yeah, they doing a performance. The yeah. They want to believe that you're from fucking Oskaloosa, Promise City, Missouri, in, in the, the US, US of A. a. So Richard that broke stranded Scotland. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard admitted himself that the band is best heard live, but they did this cover of Ring of Fire that's really something. Okay. So let's take a listen. Yeah, let's open that up. This is this is great. I know. Yes. With the like whips and whistles. Mm-hmm. So this is who Mumford and Sons is ripping off. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> From Scotland. Right. So Richard is, is like sick. the front man, banjo player. I fell into a ring of fire. 
He's got the accent down. Don't you love this? This fucking rules. Yeah, so this is just another example yeah. of Richard being awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, fucking whoops ass. <laughs> I really like Swamp Trash. I, I believe they're from the U.S. of A., goddammit. Uh-huh. So his sister Kay went up to Edinburgh <laughs> to visit him once. Uh, he was down on his ass with no money. He sold his fridge and his oven, and he was going to have to sell his Bob Dylan collection. Huge Bob Dylan fan. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Yep. So thinking that he would go and buy a fridge with the money, Kay lent her brother some cash. And, of course, he went out and bought art supplies instead. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> fuck said, your fuck fridge. A, fuck a fridge and oven. I need some art supplies. Oh, yeah. I'm an artist, and I need it. So That's why the starving artists. Yeah. Um, Not for lack of money. It's just because they don't buy a fridge and stove. Indeed. <laughs> Literally starving. So while he was having fun with swamp trash, uh, Richard was also a budding illustrator. Hell he, yeah. He decided that if you look like a student, you basically are a student. <laughs> and he started hanging around the University of Edinburgh. Every, every time I see it in my notes, I'm like, oh. You get more and more tired every time. <laughs> he started hanging around their art department in order to sneak into drawing classes. Brilliant, Hell right? yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So initially he was like peddling his art portfolio around without any success, but then he had an idea. Uh, could it be another prank? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> like it is, every, isn't it? Everything that leads to him like getting shit done seems to be a prank of some kind. Yeah, he's just having fun with it. Yeah, he's just having a good time. He's going for the funny. Indeed. So in 1981, he called Canongate and pretended to be his own agent. You know, Canongate was a uh, publishing company? Yes. He said, I've got this client in Edinburgh. You simply must see him. He's an amazing artist. Uh, and they were like, Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> got him a fucking job. That's All awesome. All thanks to his skills at prank calling, which, by the way, we can listen to because I have a clip. Okay. Yeah. This is yeah. chock full of fucking clips. I, I like know. this guy has a lot of stuff. This is, I just really want people to get an essence. Yeah. Harry Horse. No, I, I'm already so. The man so behind. So down with this Drowned dude. God, the epic fuck video. Yeah. Okay. Good afternoon, Brock. Oh, yeah, hi. Uh, can I speak to Tom, uh, Tommy, please? Uh, yes, Tom. Yeah, speaking. Um, it's uh, Carlo Van Putin here, phoning you from Amsterdam. We've got a party of guests who want to come through and eat in the Barack, uh, landing on the row row, sir. Like what? Monday morning. Okay. Okay. When do they want to come in? Well, lunchtime, but the problem is with some of these guys, you have a few, uh, there's, there's special needs, you understand? <laughs> Would it be okay with uh, various special needs? For instance, uh, my friend, uh, little Tony, he has a, a feeding monkey. <laughs> he has a feeding monkey. Okay. <laughs> it's a small monkey to feed him with the sponge and the forks. <laughs> okay. That would be all right with you? <laughs> so we can cut? You can cope with the feeding monkey. That's good. Okay, pause, okay. pause it for a second. <laughs> um, like, this guy is so chill about this call, too. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Feeding monkeys, whatever. Sounds, sounds strange, but a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be a professional about this. That. Yeah, and also, like, how good is Richard at doing these accents? Awesome. 
right? Like, yeah, it sounded like he he got a Dutch guy. He he was doing a Dutch guy who's very good at speaking English yeah. and learned English in a specific part of like the British Isles. Yeah, because he probably did. Did he have a Scottish accent? Um, no, he was, he had an English accent. Right. I heard a little Scottish accent yeah. come in through that as if like the guy from Amsterdam learned English in Scotland. Like, right. There's layers so to this accent. That's so good. Oh, God damn it. Um, but keep playing it though. Okay. Cause he has okay. other requests besides for the feeding. Down with him because she can't get messy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now what about, um, my other friend here, Jane, she has a blind dog. Can you, can you accommodate blind dog? Yeah. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, it's a dog he doesn't see. Is that all right with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. The thing with a blind dog, he has a seen cat. Okay. The cat sees for the dog. That's very impressive. That's nice. Okay. You happy with this? It's free animal so far we got. The last man, Gary, he's Gary. He's paraplegic, right? The thing is, he has a llama. Yeah? The llama carries his suitcases around. The problem with the llama is it spits. That's okay. Now, is there any way you could put on some entertainment for the animals? Uh, no. Maybe like your lap dancing cat? Just gets no. more and more like absurd. That? You know, little cat showing its ass? No, what, what do you think? Not really much of that in Shetland, I'm afraid. There's no more. Wait, you don't have lap dancing in Shetland? Because we're. Uh, we throwing... don't have lap dancing cats. No, okay. There's okay. no lap in dance Amsterdam, for cats. It's impossible, my friend. You understand? It's a bigger place, though, you know? Yeah, I know, but. Uh, any animal, what you want, ping pong balls, you know, ping pong. I put signs with ping pong balls. We can do anything like that. But in Chester, they're, they're not coothy with that. No, we're not really comfortable with okay. ping pong balls and animals. Okay, so just to get it fine, we've got the feeding monkey. Okay, that's little Mickey. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. That's okay. So the feeding monkey, he'll be there. He's going to be feeding him, and uh, he'll be feeding little Tony, okay? So with, with the forks and the spoons, yeah? And you'll have to tarpaulin down because he can get angry, okay? He can get angry, yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what else, what else you got? Any any little uh, any other little ideas you might have for for entertaining the animals after the, the meal? Uh, I'm not sure there's that much entertainment we can do. Okay. It's nice though. I'm glad you got the. This, can you hear the? Can you hear the feeding monkey now? No. No, he's feeding now. Listen, he listen to him feed. That's nice, isn't it? Yes, we'll be all right with that. Please, Tony. All right. Like, too good. Oh, my God. Like, no lap dance for the cat. (laughs) No lap dance for the cat. So. Wow. You know, well, Swamp. What a fucking brain. I know. What a fucking brain on this dude, man. (laughs) Like, I have to. Did he just do that when he was bored? Like, just had some spare time? Like, hey, I'm just going to call some places and, like, fuck around. God damn. Um, One time I prank called Olive Garden and told them. In South Dakota, and told him that a waitress had farted on my baby. <laughs> and the manager sent me a $50 gift card. <laughs> 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 oh my God, I know. <laughs> That's going in the episode. No, it can't. People will get mad at me. They'll be like, don't waste people's time like that. Like, I was dumb and young. It was with a, yeah, that was a long, yeah, that was, was another like, lifetime ago. It was like ago. me and my boyfriend at the time, and we were being dumb fucks, like making stupid prank calls. Just the Olive Garden farted on my baby joke. If, well, if, if you don't get a chuckle out of that, you're a fucking psychopath. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like my baby has asthma. <laughs> He's sick now. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and of course, like I didn't name a wait. They were like, "Who was it?" I'm like, "I don't know." All I could see was her big fat ass. <laughs> I mean, that could be anybody. Yeah, it could be anyone. In South Dakota. 
How nice. And I'm like, can you send it like to Connecticut? And he was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Suspicious here. (laughs) He's like, I'll have a talk with my staff. Uh, (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) Going around on one. one (laughs) Which one of you? uh, There was some, she was just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, if someone fessed up to it, then that's on them. Yeah, then that means someone's far and unfucking babies, and <laughs> she's not anymore. So that's yeah. Um, dine at Olive Garden where they fart on babies, but not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they were talked to by the manager. Oh, he was like, "I've never heard anything like this before. I hope not." Good. Yeah, so while Swamp Trash was really good, we can both agree on that. Rather than gaining fame as a musician, although they're pretty... They could have done it. Relatively famous, actually. Oh, word. Yeah, Richard would end up becoming a successful political cartoonist, establishing himself as Scotland's foremost political cartoonist and actually contributing to publications like The Observer, The Independent, The New Yorker, until one day becoming the Sunday Herald's resident cartoonist. Okay, You know, he would say, like, you know, a writer can't get away with writing about Margaret Thatcher being a fat, bloated bitch, but Uh, I can do that with a pen stroke uh, and get away with it. Hell yeah. Yeah. So he would, like, often get home from music gigs around 2 in the morning and then stay up until 8 or 9 a.m. doing these illustrations and cartoons. He was also hired to do illustrations for books such as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I got another clip of him talking about how he did the illustrations for those. Because imagine how little spare time this dude has at this point. For real, he's just always doing shit. He's doing art all the time. It's fucking cool. I was very glad to be asked to do the centenary edition of Robert Louis Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde. And for me... A, it was nice to be drawing a book that came from a period of time which I really like. And also, I like the duality and I like the schizophrenia of it because uh, it meant that I could exercise certain demons from myself. When I drew the best picture, I was out of my head. I was completely drunk. And the reason was that I was having a lot of difficulty with that particular drawing, which was of metamorphosis. And so I got um, plastered. These clips are interesting, and I include yeah. them just so that we can, like, hear him talk. And that's, you know, the second time that he's brought up things being schizophrenic, which yes. I think is interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Something to note. I'm not going to diagnose anyone because I don't know him. But that is the second time that he's brought up sort of being drawn to this idea of, like, duality. Yeah, yeah, feeling like. Yeah, he's got two sides to him and shit. Right, and how he had to get, like, shit-faced drunk to make this illustration, which you should look up, of the transformation between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They show it in that. Yeah, I'll put it it somewhere on, on, uh, I don't know, the show notes Mm -hmm. or the art for this. I don't know. I think it's... It's interesting how he also says that he loves Edinburgh because it gives him like a sense of the past and he wishes that he was actually around in 19th century and believes strongly that he was around back then. Yeah, I mean, the way he dresses in these clips, very old school. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, there is like more work for illustrators back then. He thinks that the quality of life for him would have been better and he just would have preferred it. So that's also interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, we see there's like a split in his identity, it seems. I think, well, because I don't know really anything about the, the game Drowned God, but it, it seems that he, he does have a, a type of paranoid mythic view of, like, the modern world. 
Yes. You know, I could see like. Yeah, he prefers the past. The lack of privacy, the ever uh-huh. growing lack of privacy. Um, really fucking with this dude. Yeah. You know? Especially because he wants to like, he doesn't, he wants to be whoever he wants to be basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not have a record, like not be tied to any. Yes. One th- yeah, Interesting yeah. that you say that because while playing music, drawing comics, doing illustrations, Richard was also making money doing forgeries. Oh. Yes. He began forging documents to make money the same year that he won the Scottish Arts Council Writer of the Year Award. I'm actually. Gonna, I'm going to say skilled trade. Very. Might be illegal. Yeah. Highly skilled. Yeah. So he won that Writer of the Year Award for his first children's book, Ogopogo, My Journey with the Loch Ness Monster. That was in 1983. And this is also the year that he began writing a manuscript dated 1846, said to have been written by the English poet Richard Horn, who was a real person and just happens to um, share Harry Horse's real name. Yeah. Which, Horse, Horn... Horse horn. Yeah. But he had picked exactly the right time period that poet horn had been alive and active. So, like, he dated this manuscript, 1846. It's Richard Horn. Harry Horse doesn't know that, like, Richard Horn even exists. Yeah, yeah. And this manuscript also was appropriate for poet Richard Horn's interests. He wrote this, like, epic poem called Orion. Kind of about, like, the sons of God and these ideas. Of course, Harry's hoax would be discovered, but then he would hold on to the manuscript for the next decade, thinking, like, hmm, I'll do something with this eventually. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He'll he'll definitely do something with that manuscript. Wink, wink. Yeah, that's fucking weird, man. Mm -hmm. That's super weird. So Swamp Trash folded in 1989 after their last tour, but— Like bands do. Yep. But that was no big deal because towards the end of that final tour, while in Shetland, Richard met the woman he would marry just one year later. All right. Yes. And that girl was Mandy Williamson. So, just a year after meeting this woman, Richard would marry her. And that woman was Mandy Williamson, a dark-haired beauty whose stillness was a counterpoint to Richard's volatility. Was he known for being volatile? Uh, this is according to his friends, okay. so I I guess so. I imagine he's kind of like just a little known manic. for being kooky. Okay, yeah, just definitely a kooky guy. I found some sources that said he was no stranger to like burning bridges. Okay, yeah, In yeah, fact, yeah, like so he worked for six years at Scotland on Sunday. And he departed over a dispute about this drawing of Kurt Cobain, which he insisted like someone had doctored without his permission. Like, I know you fucked with my picture. And everyone was like, like, no, we didn't. And he was convinced that someone had messed with this drawing. Weird. Yeah. So he demanded like recompense for this damaged drawing. And, you know, so sometimes, like, just weird stuff like that would happen. Yeah, yeah. So Mandy, though, was very, like, chill. Yeah. And she was very beautiful. I've included, like, some pictures. Yeah, I saw a picture. They look like a good-looking couple. A very good-looking couple. Like, people that I would want to hang out with. Fuck yeah. So they're brought together by their love of music and art, and they live together in a succession of rural ideals from... East Lothian to Loch Awe. God, fuck (laughs) you. You know, I guess, like, we've got our fair share of fucky names over in New England, but... That's true. 
Yeah. Not so fucking pretentious, though. No. The only pretentious ones are the ones that come from over there. Lock all. They would spend five years living in a cottage attached to the Christmas Hill Farm, where his parents still live, actually. In Warwickshire. Yes, in Warwickshire. (laughs) It was there that the couple would undergo fertility treatment, but unfortunately it failed to help them achieve the family that they had always dreamed of, which is sad. But... In 1990, shortly after getting married, Harry and his wife adopted a small brown mutt called Rue from the Portobello Cat and Dog Rescue Home in Edinburgh. Hell yeah. So they couldn't have a child, but they did have fur babies. They're very attached to their animals. Hell yeah. So Harry's quoted as saying, you know, I've had dogs my whole life. I could measure my life out in dogs. My relationship with Rue began when Mandy and I got married. We found her in a home for lost dogs and fell in love with her. Essentially, my work is a three-way collaboration between me, Mandy, and Rue. Aww. So little did they know, Rue would actually become the heroine of a series of best-selling children's books, with the feisty canine first appearing in The Last Polar Bears. Okay. Yes, uh-huh. this was a book published in 1996, written to help children learn about coping with loss. Okay. Yes. His publisher recalled, this was clearly exceptional talent. He could write and illustrate with equal skill. So, you know, not only did he draw the pictures, he was also writing these books that were very yeah, yeah. acclaimed. And it would later be adapted into like a 30-minute movie. Word. It, its name sounds familiar to me for some reason. Yeah, um... There's some, like, high-profile British actor names connected to The Last Polar Bears, like the little movie. The the mention of polar bears is kind of a callback to, like, Christmas Hill Farm, too. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, while Richard would tell his little sisters it's because of Santa, his mom would tell him stories about polar bears being in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know how, like, all families kind of have their own little phrases that they use that... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so one of his family's phrases was, there aren't any polar bears here. And it was frequently repeated for years to come. I think that's why polar bears kind of like came back in connection. With yeah, yeah. Sort of like a little callback to that. Makes sense. Yeah. So. Oh, this picture of them. I know. It's adorable. I know. It's a great. That's Rue in the picture. She's yeah. very adorable. She is a little brown chubby mutt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little so, brown chonker. You know what else happened in 1996? The drowned god. <laughs> the other side. Yeah. That's a nice happy day. Right. The drowned god. The drowned <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> All right. Even though the name of the game is just drowned god. But when you put the I in know. front of it, it becomes so much more like. <laughs> do you remember that manuscript we mentioned earlier? I do. Yeah. So in the era of PC gaming, Richard was introduced to the games Mist and The Seventh Guest. Okay. Yeah. This kind of like point and click adventure genre. Yeah. I've never been able to get into them. Yeah. They're um, weird. They weird me out. I'm interested to play them now that like all of this, you know. Oh, I mean, but this is a yeah, so bear of a different <laughs> pole. Yeah. Bear of a different <laughs> hole? Pole. Oh. <laughs> Mind out of the fucking gutter, Willow. <laughs> bear hole. Uh, <laughs> no, there's a honeypot. Okay. <laughs> 
So Richard plays the game's mist and the seventh guest, and he thinks like, oh my God, finally, this is a way for me to like tell the story in the manuscript. Hell yeah. Yeah. So the game Drowned God Conspiracy of the Ages was published on 1996 on Halloween. Ooh. Fuck yeah. Yeah. We'll get into more of what it's about a little later. All right. But so the game is released by Inscape a short-lived video game publisher in the mid-1990s that published literally only five games. Word. And back then, like, I feel like a lot of game publishers were just cranking shit out. Yeah. There was a lot of trash. A lot of trash now, too, but, like... So, these games ranged from, like, a Where's Waldo exploring geography game. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, to a game titled Bad Day on the Midway, written and directed by Bizarro Art Collective and band The Residents. Okay. You know them, right? Yeah. Yeah, big eyeball guy. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't know them, you should check them out because they're pretty weird and funky. Yeah. A proposed television series about Bad Day on the Midway, directed by David Lynch, was optioned by Ron Howard, but nothing ever came of it. So, like... There's... There's, There's your a connection. connection between David Lynch and, and Richard, Horn. Richard Horn, like right there. That's so fucking it. I know. Mm. It, like, it makes the mind go, mm. like, what? David Lynch has tapped into some weird shit, man. He sure is. He's he's there. Like, he's on now, the edge. Now I need to play both Drowned God and Bad Day on the Midway and yeah. the Seventh Guest and like. Mist you know. too is fucking strange. I don't yeah. know anything about Seventh Guest. So. Our guy, William S. Burroughs. He's here, too? He's here, too. What the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck is this? Yeah. He he was set to narrate Drowned God, but he died before the lines could be recorded. But if you're itching for some William Burroughs voice acting, you could play one of Inkscape's other two games that I haven't mentioned yet. There's only two left. Uh, <laughs> and that would be 1995's The Dark Eye, a really creepy but original point-and-click game based on the poems of Edgar Allan Poe. Poe, who, by the way, wrote a rather positive review of Richard Henry Horn's epic poet Orion. So how is that, like, everything just, like, you can tie little threads between yeah, all of this. That's, I know. Uh, I mean, how many, okay. This is our 10th episode. How many things have come up twice? How many times have we mentioned fucking William Burroughs? (laughs) Too many. It's been a few. Or maybe it was just Biosphere and I can't, I still can't get that shit out of my head. Yeah. But it all like, it all is tangentially related. Twin Peaks links everything. Yeah. That's the weirdest part. Mm -hmm. All right. So Drowned God was developed by Epic Multimedia Group. Epic. Fucking Epic, bro. Drowned God was, of course, the brainchild of Harry Horse, but he got assistance bringing it to life from colleagues Algie Williams or Algie. Algie, I think. Algie? Yeah. That feels weird in my mouth. I don't like it, but I think that's how people... Algie feels better, but Algie. Algie Williams. (laughs) (laughs) The game's executive producer and Alistair Graham. Alistair Graham. An art director. Hell of a name. Yeah. Algie Williams would go on to like develop another game, gaming something called like Babel Media, which I just think is also fun, you know, bringing in the, the Babel, B-A-B-E-L. Yeah, yeah. Not the da, 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 Babel. All right. <laughs> same same Babel. Yeah. That's where it comes from. That's true. The Tower of Babel, the, conf- the confounding mm. of the languages. Indeed. So let's take a, a bit of a look at the game's electronic press kit. Okay. And I want to mention that the order of these responses that you're going to hear are Algie, the executive producer, then Harry, 
and then Alistair. And we can talk about the differences in um, their responses, too. I want to say, like, it's like... Algie Williams and Harry Horse and Alistair Graham. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, here we go. The original idea um, was uh, by Harry Horse. um, And uh, he, Alistair Graham, who's the art director, and myself have been um, really collaborating on this for a long time. But Harry does most of the, the writing. My job before was, a, was a, I was a political cartoonist. That's how I made my living. And my editor, um, I think, was confounded a lot of the time by the fact that I did have a lot of alternative conspiracies about what was happening in politics. And some of those conspiracies were right. I mean, they weren't dreamt up by me. They were believed by um, uh, good journalists. The majority of what I do is to um, provide the material that the three-dimensional, the 3D guys, the modelers and the computers, um, give them the raw material which they can then make, i.e. the environments in the game. Okay, so first, um, that's exactly what I thought Alistair Graham would sound like. Yeah, and look like, right? He has yeah. like the little, he looks like Vincent Price. That's he is... exactly who I imagined. Yeah. I imagine him almost as like, we haven't heard him talk too much, but to me, it feels like he's like a deity or something that like is overseeing the creation of this game and like sitting back and laughing about it. He's, and he's the like, devil. And he's like, I've been plotting this for a thousand years. <laughs> he's fucking Asmodeus. Yeah. No, really though. <laughs> Alistair has like some weird, but cool vibes. Like I would hang out with him, but I wouldn't let him get too close to me. I wouldn't hang out with him in my house. Yeah, no, you're not allowed to come inside. No, no, not inviting you over the threshold. (laughs) 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 All right. So next we're going to hear from the boys, Algie, Harry, and Alistair, what the game is about. And Algie, he just looks like a regular guy. Also, he looks like an Algie. Yeah, Yeah, brown hair. British. And Harry is looking a little crazier than earlier. Before, than his swamp trash era. Yeah, Yeah, like it's just, he's just moving around a little bit more, Uh like looking up and shit. Uh huh. Yeah. And he says, you know, they, my editors, they thought I had these crazy ideas. Yeah, like them messing with your Kurt Cobain drawing. Yeah. You know, because that's a little, that's a little crazy there, Harry. A little bit. All right. The game is about an alternative interpretation of the history of mankind. The whole mystery of Drowned God is based on um, Atlantis and the position of these star constellations that form the same constellation as the Giza pyramids, the, the ground layout. It's a puzzle game. Basically, it, the whole thing is unlocking a gigantic secret. Um, and the game is thought about as a as a long crescendo from near ignorance into initiation and a new knowledge, which is genuine. You leave the game significantly 
with more between your ears and, and your heart, maybe, than you had when you started it. Oh, yeah, Alistair? But, yeah, so did you notice that it does, like, a slow zoom in on Alistair? Yeah, they knew exactly. They don't do that with anyone else, well, just no. him. Like, just the, he the knows. guy behind the camera. He knows. He, he liked being behind that camera. He knows what's up. He can make shit happen with that camera. And yeah. right then there, he had to do the slow zoom on Alistair. So, basically... The story begins in the mid-1800s. You've just received an inheritance from an unnamed benefactor. When you arrive at the deserted house to claim your bequest, you find a room-sized, beautiful spinning globe. A door on it opens. You step inside to discover untold riches, precious gems, ancient priceless artifacts. But when you try to leave with them, it's impossible. Can't take it with you. Nope, there's a strange machine here, an ancient valve-driven computer that asks for your name, and when you enter it, the computer uses numerology to figure out your sacred soul number and sign. Then it gives you a synopsis of your outstanding characteristics, as well as a brief rundown of your major past lives. It also tells you what your mission is in this life, wouldn't... Can I just say that if Harry had uh, been on Facebook right now, we'd all be fucked. Yeah. Him too. Uh-huh. I don't he could not have handled this shit. No. <laughs> no. So in the game, you're told you must travel back through time within the occult psychic worlds of earth, air, fire, and water, or Bina, Chesed, Din, and Chokma. So, oh, uh, maybe, this, maybe I'll, I'll save this for much later, but like, that doesn't really make sense. I don't know if I probably didn't put them in the right order. No, well... Maybe this is just my own interpretation, but like I'll get into this more in the next episode. But there, there is a a, a Kabbalistic concept of the four worlds that are all the the, the four elements. Yeah, fire. those aren't it. But it's the yeah the Binat Chesed. I don't know what Din is at all. It's another name for Gevara. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, that is a progression down the Kabbalistic tree of life. Um, but those are the names of all. Uh, the different sephiroth, the uh, orbs, the spheres of the tree of life. Yeah. But the four worlds concept is that there are four of those trees stacked on top of each other that represent the four elements. Uh, it's all just I, gibberish to me. So you have to go to these four worlds, and we'll probably like get into that more when we pl- actually play the game and yeah. do like a breakdown of what happens in each of these four worlds so but when you go there you have to find these missing sacred relics and i have harry explaining the four worlds of the game i don't know if this explanation will make it any clearer though well i'd like to i'd like to hear it Yeah, he doesn't he looks like mad in this like electronic press kit though. He kind of you know. Yeah. He's given a, a bit of crazy vibes. Yeah, yeah. A little a little bit. Well, cuz the Ain't thing, nothing wrong with that, but No, well, well I brought that up about the Kabbalah stuff because it's interesting to me if someone's using a correct and I mean that correct is very squirrely term with regard to Kabbalah because it's yeah. it's impossible to be correct, right? But like, but still, there is the concept of the four worlds that represent the four elements and stuff. But then there's also like the the Sephiroth, and um, there's a lot of schizophrenic misinterpretation of Kabbalah and of magic in general, and a lot of non-schizophrenic, just like appropriating it for your own fucking whatever use you want to do. And yeah. and I'm 
I'm interested to see if there was a specific reason why this switcheroo happened, if he's actually trying to bring people through by not Chesed, Dane, and, and Hokma, um, and they just wanted to make it more accessible. Right. You know? I guess we'll but, find out. When yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But I love that. Sorry, I'm, I'm a fucking nerd about that shit. That's why, like... <laughs> okay, here's Harry's explanation of the four worlds of Drowned God. In the Chesed realm, it mainly deals with the Mayan pyramids, the Bermuda Triangle, the Scorpio sub. The, May, uh, the Mayan era, the Egyptian era, um, and all the way up to the present day, including people like uh, Leonardo, Einstein, a lot of the, the, the greats of mankind. In the Chesed realm, it mainly deals with the Mayan pyramids, the Bermuda Triangle, the Scorpio sub, the Philadelphia experiment. The second realm, Binar, is the air realm that deals very much with the Arthurian legend of the Grail, the um, Stonehenge, um, the site of Merlin's Wood, um, through to Din, which is the mechanistic world um, of the 18th century enlightened, the Jules Verne's, if you like, their vision of what the future world might look like, um, through to the fire realm, Chokma which is based in the four corner area of the United States, underground bases, um, the Great Pyramids at Giza. Yeah. Okay, he just picked those fucking names because he thought they sounded cool. Uh, yeah, he just, does like, not and match then up. lists a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that doesn't match up with actual um, I Kabbalah. I like how he says Bina. Like. Yeah, is it, would it, in Hebrew, would it be uh, Bina or Bina? Uh, I always God. fuck up the pronunciations. I don't know, and I'm a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> So I think um, Chokma is also supposed to be like related to Area 51 somehow too. Yeah, because yeah. well, it's interesting. Like that, um, if Din is and other video game nerds will remember Din as the fire spell from Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, because it, and Geburah, if that if Din is another name for Geburah, is um, that's the sphere ruled by Mars, which is a planet associated mostly with fire and war and aggression and shit. Yeah. Chesed, which seemed to be a very aggressive world in this, Chesed is the is the start of the pillar of mercy. Chesed is a very gentle, merciful uh, sphere on the tree of life. Yeah. He also says that there's an ongoing story going on that doesn't get finished within the game. Uh, interesting. So I don't know. There's also a question in the electronic press kit. What is the mystery of Drowned God? And here's Harry's answer. I believe that Eden refers to Atlantis. This is all left of field stuff. I, I know that, but it happens to be what I believe in. Yep. <laughs> it just happens to be what I believe in, baby. Eden is Atlantis. Any thoughts on that? Um, oh boy. It's interesting. Oh, well, okay. I mean, it's, I can, mm, Eden is a state of mind, baby. Eden is a yeah. state of mind. Yeah. You know, it's a very, like, a very psychological. Eden with you. Yeah, like, we're Eden trying. Eden is within you, baby. So, I kind of think of Eden as, you know how animals, uh, besides humans, can just do the shit they do perfectly without fucking it up a lot of times? Like, a squirrel just knows how to do ridiculous acrobatics. Being in a state of gnosis. It doesn't, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to practice, yeah. you know, the incredible acrobatics. Sees a well, tree, jumps to it. Um, um, Harry thinks it's Atlantis, so that's, yeah. I don't know, maybe Atlantis was run by squirrels. What the fuck do I know? <laughs> I'm just a guy. 
All right. So I'm just asking so questions. Now Alistair is going to tell us okay. what the mystery of Drowned God Conspiracy of the Ages is. Okay. Let's see. And yet again, it will be slowly zooming in. They on do it face. again? They sure do. <laughs> Drowned God is, um, has an elliptical meaning, which covers a number of possible points. It could mean Atlantis, the fabled... Uh, empire that was um, submerged by the sea. It could mean the loss of ancient knowledge that was um, the original property of the ancients. Okay. I, I, I'm really starting to think that Alistair is like a, a goetic demon. Uh, yeah, the shit he said. And listen, he's going to say he's... something really, really creepy and weird okay. that will like... Um, make you know that he is a demon. I think he's like payment. Yeah, like, he hasn't said it yet, but you're gonna you're gonna be like, oh shit, this man's a de- I'm okay. sorry, Alistair. Um All right. no disrespect. No more respect, really. Yeah, much more respect. Sir. All right. Next question. What characters are involved in the game? Also, at this point in the electronic press kit, there's like a weird glitchy transition. And then the audio and video are no longer synced for the rest of the video. It almost seems like they cut something out of it, but I don't know what it was. It just like does a weird thing. Yeah, that happens sometimes with like old yeah. VHS stuff. It's like an to... old thing too, yeah. 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 What was interesting is that most of the characters that we chose were members of a secret organization called the Priory of Sion, or so it's claimed, and that goes from Leonardo da Vinci through to Isaac Newton. That's what, um... I mean, that's, that's, that's what just... The Da Vinci Code by I the know, powerful wizard the Dan Brown. Sion shit. I know a lot of people love it, but I don't... <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of dumb. Yeah. It's kind of real dumb. So we're working with that in the game. Yeah. But this was before the Da Vinci Code, like, popularized. Um, actually, I... it's pronounced Da Vinci. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we're going to hear Alistair's take on what characters are in the game. Oh, my God. We're doing the zoom in again, by the way. Every and time. just on him. Just him. No one else. I mean, if you watch this, you'll see why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Newton and Einstein, a couple of uh, argumentative old scientists... Uh, treat us to a few of their disagreements. Horus from the Isis and Osiris legend. Victor Hugo. Quetzalcoatl, the Aztec Mayan god. Yeah, and right after that is when it like glitches, and the question mm. is, why the interest in alien conspiracy? Mm. Um, we don't need to answer that question here. We're going to go straight to what is the objective of the game? Okay. The objective of the game is to regain these four lost artifacts and through uncovering the security puzzles that have been placed around each artifact the player with the aid of certain characters by moving through the miasma of lies and deceptions is able to, ro- to locate each relic take it back and install it inside the bequest globe I love that he said the miasma of lies because the soundtrack for Drowned God is by a band called Miasma. I've tried to look this band up. There's other bands named it, but not the, I can't find the soundtrack anywhere, let alone like a band or like 
short-lived collective named Miasma or something. I've only ever found that like mentioned in like one article and then like nowhere else. I think Harry mentions it in this EPK too, that like the music was made by Miasma. And then he mentions like the Miasma of Lies. And I'm like, is that like a note that Miasma is a band that like doesn't Doesn't exist? exist. Yeah. Is it just like he made the music for it and then released it under like a fake name? I mean, it's plausible. That's, that's kind of his MO. Yeah. So now Alistair is going to answer the objective of the game. Hold on. Yeah. Are Algy and Alistair real people? Have all three of them ever been seen in the same room together? Yeah. Because they kind of look, Similar. They're not ever seen in the same room in this video. Like, even. Harry Horse, with the talented makeup artist, could look like both those other dudes. <laughs> That's so funny. It, I'm, uh, I'm not wrong, though, right? You're not. Yeah. That's a crazy idea, but you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so this is when Alistair says the thing that's really fucking creepy, answering what the objective of the game is. Okay. There is danger plenty, and if you're not careful, you could get a very bad shock or two. I don't think it's likely to be fatal, but then who knows? Whoa. Yeah, that's the objective of the game. You could get a very bad shock. It's Man. not likely to be fatal, but you never know. I mean, like, he is a, an artist. He's doing the creepy, weird artist bit. I love that bit. I do it myself sometimes. I know, but, like, considering, Consider- like, what yeah, happens, dude, it's weird. It's, that's really fucking like, creepy and weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so... Fucking bizarre. This shit is... So, this is weird. It is weird. All right, so now I'm going to open up... An interview with GameSpot.com that Harry did to further explain the game's lore. I'm sorry if it's confusing to anyone that I'm going back and forth between Harry and Richard, but, you know, so it goes. Harry is Richard. Richard is Harry. Yeah. It's a hairy dick. All right. He mentions this idea, this alternative version of history was introduced to him by a guy named Professor Ian Halpke in the early 80s. Hmm. And, you know, I get that the early 80s was a different time. The Internet wasn't around. Maybe this was an older dude uh, who maybe passed away before the Internet's heyday. But I can't find anything about a Professor Ian Halpke. Yeah, I just searched for it. The only things that come up is... The drowned god, Harry Horse. Yeah, Harry Horse he god. says yeah. that. I don't think Anne Halpke exists either. I think that this is a character made up by Harry Horse to be like, oh, yeah, I got it from this other guy, but there is no other right. guy. Right, and I mean that He's that just tracks, building the myth. Right, and that tracks with like, I mean, that's a that's a trick that's been used by a lot of people, uh, a, a perhaps non-existent teacher that teaches them uh, Kabbalah and shit like that. Right, and that also, it almost serves to legitimize you a little bit. Yeah, and like until I typed Ian Halpke into Google, I was like, oh, did I fuck up the knowledge of Kabbalah? Like, oh, this guy actually got, oh, that guy doesn't exist. Okay, no, never mind. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still good. He says that (laughs) Professor Ann Halpke showed me the way that the Kabbalah and certain ancient Jewish chronicles hide and encipher the secret, coupled with the story of the Ark of the Covenant, which he theorized was a nuclear device. (laughs) Like, okay. And at the time, to the horror of any of that would listen, that we shared compatible genes with the pig, a mutated victim of past genetic experiments. Like, whoa, Professor Ann Halpke. Those are some claims. Yeah. 
It's interesting now that pigs are the favored creatures to supply us with body parts for organ transplants. I mean, honestly, it sort of sounds like he just read fucking Behold a Pale Horse, the the, the yeah. Bill Cooper joint, you know, uh-huh. that was like the, I don't know, the first uh, conspiracy theory book to tie in like all of them make the whole book of revelations right. with black helicopters deal, you know, um, right. the, the genetic experiments on pigs and humans and stuff, the chimeras, um, lost history. Like this, yeah, this he's is hung that up on the chimeras and shit. Too. This is that 1990s conspiracy theory yeah. stuff like condensed. So GameSpot asks him like what books or other informational resources would you suggest to people that want to learn more about the theories of drowned God? He says like read titles by, Eric von Daniken. Yeah, I wrote Chariots of the Gods. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Velikovsky's Worlds in Collision, Colin Wilson. Wilson. David Woods, Gene Set, Charles Berlitz, Ignatius Donnelly's Atlantis, The Antidiluvian World, okay. Madame Blavatsky, Secret Doctrine, okay. you know, Brinsley, yeah. Le- Lepore, Trenches, Secret of the Ages, Edgar Case, right all the way to the wonderful Illuminati series by Robert Anton Wilson. It is the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson, and I highly fucking recommend it. Yes, it says Illuminati series in this interview. Yeah, well, they don't. They don't know the difference. He don't just know. GameSpot. Yeah, so they mistyped it. Harry also suggests to anyone who wants to read about the UFO subject and Fortean issues, anything by Timothy Good, John Mack, Stanton Friedman. Glenn Campbell, Whitley Strieber, you know, Carl Jung, all the yeah. all the classics, you know, Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée, yeah. yeah. No, no Crowley. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, and none of the other, like, I don't know, magicians and stuff, which is, I wonder why that, like, yeah. I think he's more hung up on, like, the historical aspect than the magic-y aspect. He's got, he's got uh, Colin Wilson in there and, like, Robert Anton Wilson. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, through through that shit, like, you'd get there, you know? Because definitely, yeah, like— I imagine he wanted to because he seems like a guy that was always trying to, like, break boundaries and, un, you know— And especially if he's name-checking, the uh, you know, the Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. He's name-checking Kabbalah and shit. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. It's just interesting to me. It it really is. GameSpot asks, like, what historical events can be explained via the theories put forth in Drowned God? I have to burp. So Harry Horse says, well, essentially the recorded wisdom of the ancient world was burned in the library at Alexandria by the early Christian church because it conflicted with the biblical interpretation of creation. The story goes that the bathhouses of Alexandria were kept warm for five months. That's a lot of books to destroy. This forbidden knowledge was suppressed and those that sought to keep the tradition alive were killed from the Knights Templars right up to the Inquisition of the Witches. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's all I have to say. All right. (laughs) Uh, One of the groups that guarded portions of this knowledge were the Templars and the Lodge of the Priory of Sion. Like, its leaders were picked from the most prominent men and women of the day, Leonardo da Vinci, Isaac Newton, Alexander Dumas, and Jules Verne, to name a few. Is it it bad that I'm glad he died before Facebook? Yeah. Do you think... I don't think QAnon would have gotten him. Uh, I think he would have gotten QAnon. Yeah, right. <laughs> started QAnon. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he goes on to talk about the secret government and aliens and the Philadelphia Project and, you know, so it. like he's really all of it. And he says, of course, like the total truth has not been revealed in Drowned God. You know, he's going to need a sequel, which is supposed to be called Cult. 
Okay. Yeah, but of course, that was supposed to be all about, like, Area 51 and stuff and more about, like, aliens. Yeah. So, and, you know, this was before the X-Files, by the way. Right, right. So I think that's interesting. This is also, I mean, again, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking at this, uh, he's talking about certain key players like James Forrestal and JFK. I mean, this is so, in The Secret History of Twin Peaks by Mark Frost, like, this is the shit that Mark Frost gets into with his side of Twin Peaks. Yeah. And like, I mean, the original Twin Peaks didn't really get, it name-checked a little bit of this stuff towards the end, but not really as much as, you know, the mythology later did. Yeah. But I wonder. Do you think there's any know. chance that the name of Richard Horn was chosen on purpose? I do. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, after like I definitely think some of Twin Peaks might be about this dude. Yeah. In in a way. And and this this type of take on conspiracy and not and mythology mm-hmm. and esotericism, which is a very weird take on it. Like uh I don't know. I'm I'm talking real funny because like I'm trying to I'm thinking of a lot. There's it's, a lot of shit. It'll make your mind go crazy. I mean, like I've had yeah, a but, fun oh. and crazy time researching this. Uh, well, Harry's um, absorbed with all of all of that. He's very into the whole conspiracy stuff. Um, he's writing his children's books. Unfortunately, Mandy's health starts to decline, and this is where the story's going to get a little bit sadder. Just a little, huh? Yeah. Um, all around 2004, the couple moved to the Shetlands to be nearer to Mandy's parents after her MS started to get worse. He would write on his blog, which was called Horsey Boots, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Harry Horse. I used to play in a band called Swamp Trash. We played bluegrass and I kicked up a bit of dust. I think it was happy music. It made people smile. God damn it. I know. <laughs> I know. Fuck, man. <laughs> During the last few gigs we played, I met Mandy, and we fell in love and married. Sixteen years we've been together, though now we face hard times. As the last two years, Mandy has been ill with multiple sclerosis and is now in a wheelchair. I care for her, and our life is about fighting the illness. Man. I know. It's so sad. It, like, Like, when I was re- researching this, not gonna lie, like, I cried a couple times. Yeah, I can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's a lot. Like, what happened happened, but I believe he did love her with his whole heart. Um, so he continues on in this blog. <laughs> I'm, like, choked up. <laughs> I live with her in Shetland on a small island called Burra where I write and illustrate children's books. I still play the banjo, and my latest offering is called Horsey Boots. So this is, like, hard to even say. Um, His last blog entry, made on New Year's Day 2007, stated, Mandy would like to hear from anyone who is suffering from this terrible condition known as MS. She's unable to type and therefore cannot operate a blog, though I help her in replies. I would like to hear from artists and musicians and dreamers of the dream. These are hard times that we all are facing. Damn. I know. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. And then I included here, this is the last um, cartoon that he published in the Glasgow Sunday Herald. So it's like this, it's a minotaur, like a bullheaded man who's in the left, the right side of the frame, and he's sort of looking out at the water, and I think those are, like, what, lighthouses? Or what is that? It could just be, like, rocks, uh, towers, spires, um, yeah, rock formations. Maybe, maybe towers or he's, something. He's looking out at the horizon. He could maybe, oh, the minotaur would be, oh, 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 that's what that is. 
So um, the myth of the Minotaur and fuck is his name. The, the, it's a it's a Greek myth. But yeah, the basic strokes of the, the Minotaur myth, uh, a queen fucked a bull that was sent by Zeus and gave birth to a Minotaur. Yeah. Uh, King Minos was embarrassed, but he didn't want to kill the Minotaur, so he hid the monster in the labyrinth constructed by Daedalus. Minos would imprison his enemies in the labyrinth so the Minotaur could eat them. It was such a complicated construction, the labyrinth was, that no one could ever find their way out alive. Theseus, you know, was the Greek hero Theseus sailed to fucking, sailed to Crete to kill the Minotaur and and the human sacrifices to the monster uh-huh. and shit. And looking at that, like that looks like a ocean that this Minotaur is looking out of with rock spires. Yeah. Which would be like the Mediterranean. Yeah. And there's, there's like one ship in there. And I just like, maybe this is totally wrong. Maybe this is not what he was thinking of at all. But it looked like a picture from the the, the Minotaur looking out at the person that's going to kill him is what I got from that. And, and Harry Horse identifying with the Minotaur. Maybe. Or maybe it's like the tops of buildings that are submerged underwater. Yeah, maybe that could be too. I don't know. But he writes with this cartoon, which was published on January 6, 2007. These things had wings, feathers, claws, bird head, crocodile jaw, a sort of ancient plastic surgery gone manimal. Bullheaded men, bird women, and dog blokes were but a few variants made in the quest for a new beauty. One only has to refer—what do you think he would think of furries? (laughs) (laughs) One only has to refer to the Egyptian and the Greek legends to see that Blavatsky's things were possible refugees from the stricken Atlantis, Minotaur, Centaur, and damn harpies. The world was once full of the critters. Of course, huh. now such ideas are rightly consigned to the dustbin of history. Huh. Yeah. That's, an man. interesting, an interesting last, I, I don't want to call it a cartoon. It looks like a painting. So that was January 6, 2007. Yes. His, his blog entry from New Year's Day, 2007. Yeah. So was much more lucid much more i mean maybe he's making art in this one but like it's it's a little shaky yeah i'm not sure what he means by it yeah exactly you know it's like what is unless does he see himself as like the minotaur something that's not meant for this world that's kind of how i see it yeah but the way he writes that like these things had wings it it sounds like he's been up for fucking six days you know the consigned to the dustbin of history right yeah i don't know I wonder if that's how he felt about himself. Yeah, I think he felt almost like maybe like a magical person not meant for... And I kind of agree with that. I don't know. Yeah. So the phone call had been planned for months. The year is 2007. We know this. And Richard's three sisters hoped to achieve in unity what they had failed to do alone, which was reconnect with their estranged but beloved brother. So at this point in Richard's life, he kind of stopped talking to his family. Yeah. You know? So it was agreed that in January 2007, they would gather around the kitchen table, put on the phone speakers, and dial their brother's home in Shetland. Kay, the eldest sister, you know, the one who he <laughs> pranked with the dolphin. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who lives in the United States, was going to return home as a surprise for their mother's birthday, and she, Marianne, and Emma would all kind of like bridge this rift in the family. But, of course, the phone call was never made, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because Horn, horse, had one by one cut his family out of his life as he struggled to cope with the mental torment of watching his wife dying of multiple sclerosis, a condition that confined her to a wheelchair and then would rob her of her speech. Like, imagine watching someone you love go through uh, that. That would be the hardest thing ever. I can't. And I I know there's many people who have had to go through shit like that and heartbreaks for. I'm like, fuck that. 
Yeah. And especially because, like, you saw those pictures of her. Like, yeah. They fucking you know? loved each other. Yeah. And they're just, like, hanging out, you yeah. know? So to to have your your wife that you love, who's only 39, and you've been with her since 1989, and now it's 2007. So that's, like, how many years is that? Like, 18? Something like that. Yeah. So that's a long-ass time to be with someone. Yeah. And then to have to watch, like, your loved one who once had full mobility, full independence, like... Yeah. It was once your rock. Yeah. So... Kay O'Hanlon, 45, and Marianne Moore, 44, now believe that their brother had actually planned his death long ago and distanced himself from them to strengthen his resolve. So that's what his sisters think his reason was for becoming more distant. They also thought that he and Mandy probably talked about dying together. And they think that they probably agreed on that, maybe. But Richard may not have told her when as to, like, reduce her stress. Like, yeah. I'm going to kill us, honey, but you won't Ooh, see it coming. Oh. I know. Oh, God. It's worse than if it was, like, yeah. in a frenzied rage and, like, he was just a murderer, right? Yeah, it's darker. Like, it's way worse. It's, it's fucking darker, yeah. for sure. Oh, wow. But of course, we don't know if that's the truth. We don't. We don't. So, uh, Marianne said... You know, I think he had planned this for a long time. I don't think he was going to let her suffer. They wanted to put her in a hospice, and he would not have any time on his own with her again. Oh, my God. He used to lie in bed with her, and sometimes in the night he thought she had stopped breathing. He always said he would see to it that she would never know when. Yeah. I think they planned a long time ago to go together. And then Kay also says he had spiritual beliefs and he wanted to go on that journey with her, which is kind of what I'm, that's kind of my belief too. Yeah, yeah. So the pain of Horn's predicament, of Richard's predicament, could not be hidden from his family. So it erupted in anguish. The last time Kay saw her brother had been in 2003 when he visited her on the farm in upstate New York where she lives with her husband and three children. She says, my worst memory of him was that visit. We were raised so closely. We had a good childhood. I had tried so hard over the years to help him, and now I wasn't able to. I had to listen to him say, my beautiful wife is dying, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm in hell. The visit ended abruptly after three days, and it was two months before he ever called to apologize. God damn. It's so fucking sad. I know. So basically, like, he just can't handle the stress. He can't handle the, the situation he's been put in at all. Which is a fucking terrible and heartbreaking situation. Because I think, like, he met his soulmate. So he's right. like, what am I, you know, what am I supposed to do now? Right, right, right. You know? Yeah. Like, and I mean, then this scene was in 2003, four years before right. the shit went down. Yes. So, like, it's been, it's, it's been a while. The last conversation that Marianne had with him was in October 2005. Uh, she asked him if he had a good day, and he replied, no fucking day is a good day. She wow. says he was just so, so angry. You couldn't say anything right. He was depressed. I mean, yeah. that, that's... He, he was, was fucking depressed. He was and clinically how could you not depressed be? to shit. Yeah. So, like, and Emma, the youngest sister, spoke to her brother in August, I'm guessing of 2006, a conversation which Kay and Marianne say was characterized by anger. Hmm. But it was clear... You know, it's clear that these sisters, like, love him. You know, they tell all these stories that I've told are because they've told them. Yeah, yeah. Like, they maintain his website. They love their brother. I I, I want to point out again, like, because this was written. When was this interview with his sisters conducted? Do you know? Uh, this is a, 
January. So this is before it came out, the more, the other details. Okay. Yeah. Like people are acknowledging that like one of the primary symptoms of extreme depression in men specifically is anger, yeah. just violent anger and not, not like no, not I physically violent anger. I have to clarify that because of what we're talking about, but just like agitation, pure rage at the yeah. world. And, and so it's like, you know, they say he was characterized by anger, maybe because at that time they didn't realize that it was depression. You know what right. I mean? And also he was Kind of right to be angry at the oh, world. Oh fuck I mean, yeah! You know he should. Uh, if yeah, he she, he had every right to be angry with the universe, God. He got dealt a fucked hand. Yeah. Like so, to judge by the newspaper coverage of the couple's death, Richard had no family. Oh wow! Like shortly after the bodies were discovered, a member of Mandy's family was quoted as saying, "Harry had no family of his own." What the fuck? Um, in fact, his family members were among the last to know he was dead. With police notifying them two days after news of the event had been published online. What the fuck? Yeah, really weird, right? Yeah. So, Alistair Inkster. We got another Alistair in the building. And he's an inkster. Yeah. <laughs> a local counselor in Shetland said, I know the family very well. I'm deeply shocked by what has happened. And I'm sure the whole community is in shock because they're a very nice family and very well respected. Yeah, they're very well respected. So I'm sure they're shocked. Fuck you, Alistair. Yeah. So 1.5 years later, July 2008, uh, more details come out. So we got this guy, Peter Gilman. He's a journalist and author who was investigating the story of Harry Horace and Mandy because him and his wife, Lenny, thought that this was like a poignant love story. Yeah, yeah. But then they realized that there was more to it, and the records indicated that they died from blood loss and not drugs. Okay. So before it was kind of thought that they had taken um, like painkillers and died together from that. Yeah, yeah. And now is when they see that... It's, it's actually blood loss. Yeah. So the families of the couple believe that Horse could not go on witnessing his wife's suffering and did try to end her life with painkillers, but when that didn't work, he flew into a frenzy. So that's one idea. That's I don't weird. Know. I don't know about that. Like, why didn't she just use more painkillers? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, this, this stuff... Um, the details about the stabbing, which I don't want to talk about too much, right. but as far as I know, that's true. Okay. But like, so that's the thing that confounds me. Yeah. But regardless, you know, papers really vastly sensationalize this new public information. Like they do. Yeah. Like one article that stated that it was the first murder in Shetland for more than 15 years, even though like Shetland is literally the murder capital of Scotland. Like really? it's number 11 on the list of like most like. Jesus fucking so Christ. So this paper is just like, yeah, the first, you know, so they're trying to like, you know, it's hard to get the facts straight at this point in time when you're yeah, looking yeah. at news stories. But Mandy's mother, Grace Williamson, who lives with her husband, George, on Borough, said, um, we've only been able to cope because they're now both beyond pain. Quite simply, he went mad. Yeah. We cling to the fact that they were in love and had 18 years together before their lives were ended by this moment of madness. So Mandy's parents, like, they've made as much peace with it yeah, yeah. as I think they could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fuck, man. But then, of course, Mr. Williamson, 
George Williamson, said he wanted it to be known how his daughter died and said this was no living suicide pact. It was murder. Mandy had arranged to go with her mother, Grace, to the dentist that morning they were found. She wasn't planning on suicide. In fact, during a visit by Mandy's two friends on the evening of January 9th, Harry Horse was said to have been in a demented state going around their horse proclaiming it's a wonderful night for a killing. Holy shit. Mandy is said to have been so distressed she did not want her friends to leave. Oh my fucking again, God. Like, but yeah. It's so hard to get the details straight. Right. It's like, how do we, you know? Right, right. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, the thing is like going back to like his post on New Year's Day. And then the caption for his cartoon on the 7th, it seems, I, I really, like, it, it sounded to me like he, he hadn't slept in a fucking long time. Right. And this is the 9th of January that that, yeah, like. Yeah, so nine days, uh, um, like, maybe and it was also said that he liked weed and ecstasy and stuff. Oh, so, if I, that, I mean, he could have been up for nine days on ecstasy. Exactly. And with a slightly on edge, not with an on edge brain. Yeah. Dealing with all the shit he was dealing with. Yeah, that'll break you. Right. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Josephine Horn, Richard Harry's mother, told the Sunday Times that the police in Shetland phoned her some days after the deaths to ask whether the two could be buried together. And the phone call she received from the undertaker told her that the couple died like Romeo and Juliet. And it wasn't until the 15th that um, Josephine Horn was told the truth about the circumstances. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, hard, hard thing to tell someone. It is. It is. It's confusing that she was told something differently at first. Yeah. Like, like Romeo and Juliet, if there was a lot of knives involved. That's the fucking thing. Like, why would anyone have said that at first? It's a good question. I don't know, man. What if they were murdered and nobody knows it, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 We don't know. Yeah. Talk to fucking Alistair. Right. (laughs) And then, so in the Sunday Times article, Mrs. Josephine Horn also says some snobbishly offensive things about Mandy (laughs) in relation to the wedding, like complaining that the Williamsons had not arranged for flowers for the church, didn't invite her family back to the house after the ceremony to see the, the presents. You know, her father just shoved them all into the garage, said Josephine. They were really strange people, really strange. Huh. Um, she also criticized Mandy's attitude when she lived near them in Warwickshire. She said she couldn't make friends. She criticized everything. Harry's cricket, his upbringing, going away to school. We had to be careful what she said. She would sulk. We had nothing in common. She couldn't wash his cricket whites. She didn't like him playing cricket because she didn't like the wives. Oh, so they just don't like poor people. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Horn um, also alleged that her son had been consuming this cocktail of drugs that he and Mandy were taking to help relieve her symptoms. She's the one that brings up like ecstasy. Okay. I doubt she knows what ecstasy is. I, yeah. Who knows? I think um, that's just what she calls pills. She doesn't know what they like, are. Like the information in here is just like, it's, it, it, it's, it makes your brain like a ping pong ball. Right. Because it's, it's like, wait, what? I haven't actually learned anything yet. You know what I mean? Like, this is all yeah, like, it's like, what actually happened? Where are the fucking facts? Are here? these real quotes even? Right. Like, you know, fucking bizarre. After like national media coverage of this went around, people were asking like, well, why wasn't there a fatal accident inquiry? Blah, 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 blah. But you know, over in Scotland, they, they don't share shit unless there's like a strong justification for it being in the public interest. So they're right. like, you know, right, right. We got it under control. We don't 
need to share the details. It's the opposite of Florida man, right? Yes. Which is we get all the Florida man does something fucking boneheaded and we all laugh about how dumb Florida is. Well, no, it's just because Florida has laws that like they publish that shit. Right. So, you know, so we're doing just as dumb shit up here too. Don't let anyone fool you. It's, <laughs> it's true. And like, you know what? Good. Because if that was my family member, I don't need everybody knowing the exact For sure. details. Absolutely. But it makes me wonder like, do the families know the exact details? Right. What are the fucking exact details? Right. So from this, there's there's some misinformation. Like when I was watching videos, like playthrough videos on YouTube, I saw some people on YouTube commenting. I remember my dad playing this game when I was a kid and thinking it was the spookiest, weirdest shit ever. I loved the weird ass puzzles and conspiracy about it. Apparently there's multiple endings, but nobody on YouTube or the internet has patience to find them. The author of this game died of a heart attack in a hut. Apparently not much is known about it. <laughs> like, okay. Uh. And then someone else says like this game becomes a lot more interesting when you find out the creator and his wife were brutally murdered and no one knows why oh god the and the myth a myth is born the myth is born so here's some closing points that i want to talk about. okay yeah yeah is this a love story uh no no it's not because we don't know that much about it. i fell in love i wouldn't call this yeah. a story i would call it a story it's a story i would call it a story about two about a a person and yeah, I have a hard time. I don't know much about Mandy, you know? Yeah. So like what was Richard Harry's motivation for killing his like wife and pets? Do you think, do you think he was just, he just wanted to if, get out of this realm? If he, if he did it, if they didn't have a suicide pact and if he's the actual one who, who, who did it, I think he was driven past the edge by not sleeping, by perhaps taking drugs. Who knows if it was actually ecstasy or any other upper or downer. Right. Who the fuck knows? I think a, he was a, just a man pushed back. I think past. a cavalcade of shit yeah. could have easily put him over the right. fucking edge. Because I would say that it was like maybe a mercy killing, but then the method makes me confused. If that method's real. If it's real, yeah. Um, and I think like the pets, him killing the pets is because, you know, him and Mandy couldn't have children. So their, their pets really were their children. And I think he wanted to leave as a family unit. Yeah. Like a Pharaoh or, yeah. um, like a, or a Viking or any of the myriad, like mythic funeral ways or like ways of ancient cultures dealt with death and shit, mm -hmm. especially death of royalty. Right. Um, like, do you think there was anything about the method of death that has some sort of like magical, influence by like a blood magic thing do you think he was trying to do anything in, in particular there for a specific reason or do you think it was just like madness just chaos i think i if if it went down like that i think it was just chaos yeah personally yeah um, yeah because i also, don't I also know. read some port reports of him like self-castrating which is jesus an interesting detail that makes that it, could definitely be you know i don't really think that has conspiratorial beliefs like played into things played into like the deaths in particular but i do think it contributed to like his state of mind but For i sure i don't think he like did it because of any conspiracy no 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 but, uh, but i don't like, think he was murdered as a conspiracy either method like me specific methodology could be i mean if the castration thing is true i mean you, 
Look at, it's you know, very, Marshall Applewhite from Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Maybe he looked at that. Maybe he thought that there was something to that whole thing. He seems like someone who might have fallen for specifically that one in another life. I don't know. I, it's really hard to Right. Like, there's so there, many I don't know. And especially if someone is a little fucking tapped, there's a lot of ways you can read into mythology and read into esotericism that isn't actually in the text. And even, I mean, which is... Everyone is doing that when they look at those those texts and and, yeah. and old esoteric stuff. Like you you are necessarily reading into it because it's a game of telephone from right. who knows when. You know. I mean, like as I was going through this story and researching it and trying to get to know Harry the best that I could with the limited resources available, and I was like making these connections between Twin Peaks and David Lynch and yeah. Inscape and blah blah blah. I felt like that was the true essence of like Harry Horace is when I was like, oh, Richard Horn and yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah, putting together all the puzzle pieces, and I. I do feel as though, like, I relate to him as sort of, like, this quirky sort of, like, musician that likes to yeah, different fake identities. Dude, and- I mean, so he, like, I think he's a—I think I can handle the conspiracy stuff better than he can, to be yeah, perfectly that's honest. Yeah, the thing. To but me, he, he's like a warning story. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. he does remind me of exactly. a crazier version of myself. Yeah, precisely. In, like, everything that he does. The punk bluegrass shit. The the video—wanted to make video games to tell a story. I love that shit. The, the merging of conspiracies and like an esotericism. I love that shit. I'm, I really like, I feel a kinship with this dude to a point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause it all wraps up. So like, wait, whoa. And with depression and shit, like I've dealt with that and it, it is fucking horrible. And yeah. I've never had to deal with anything as horrible as well, having MS or, or, or dealing with that. But I, you know, it's so tough because like you, you don't want to excuse any fucking monstrous acts because they, they right. It's a fucking tragedy. It's a fucking tragedy. That's um, for sure. Yeah, but in order to get to know him better, I think the best way to do that is going to be for us to play Drowned God. Yes. And that way, well, it's really like stepping into his brain. So yeah. I'm excited to do that. I am so excited to do that. Yeah. So I think. So we're going to, our next episode, we're going to be talking about our experience playing Drowned God, which we yes. have not done yet as of recording this now. And kind of our thoughts on his art. And I think, you know, maybe we'll next episode will be more about like our interpretations of yeah, his art and shit like that. What his art says about him as a person. And now I think I'll be better able to appreciate the game. Yeah. Yeah. As, if I hadn't known all of these things. Absolutely. Wow. This it's man, a doozy. This is insane. I like, again, thank you. Thank you for bringing this in. I would not have known about yeah, you're this. welcome. Um, fucking nuts. I'm going to think about Richard Horn, Harry Horse for like the rest of my life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's just wrap this up. I have a little verse from Orion, the poem by Richard Henry Horn, the 19th century poet. And right. it states, And thus, in the end, each soul may to itself, with truth before it as its polar guide, Become both time and nature, whose fixed paths are spiral, and when lost will find new stars, and in the universal movement, join. Shit. And there you have it. Wow. Well, we'll catch you guys next week. What the fuck have we gotten ourselves into? Oh, get ready. I think when we play the game, we're going to get even more mind-fucked. Okay, yeah. All right, well, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, as always, take care. Take care. Be good to yourselves. comment, and subscribe. Yes, do it now. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense for a podcast, but (laughs) rate and review. 
get give this your attention. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All guys. Right. Peace out. Peace out.